So today we'll look at chapter five, the psychological immune system. Um, for me, this one was quite interesting. Yeah. You know, again, Jamie's reinforcing your feeling, your thinking, not what you're thinking about. Um, that was kind of, you know, the, the 100% way things work kind of came through to me again. And I, I like the, you know, in the very, I guess, page 60, just into the chapter when he, he talks about your physical immune system as a mm -hmm. metaphor and then relates that to the psychological immune system. I don't think I've ever, prior to this, ever really thought about it that way or heard that anywhere else. But when you hear it, it's like, that makes total sense. <laughs> I don't know what your guys' impression of that was, but it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I came into this chapter, I I kind of got stuck on the title, not stuck at all. Like that was just, yes, I know, of course, we've all spoken about this because of Jamie's work and, and everything else, but just like if I was sort of, you know, coming into this as, let's say, a, some, somebody from outer space sort of thing or have no knowledge whatsoever at all. I mean, just looking at the, the psychological, like it's just never crossed my mind. Like it, it's just, but the moment that something separate from what I, with my basic sort of, let's say, uh, knowledge of a, anatomy, you know, from school biology or whatever, and, you know, there's an immune system and that works really well and this, that and the other and you can get immune diseases and all sorts of strange things and just as well it's there, otherwise we'd drop down dead as we're sent out as being kids to, you know, graze on the grass outside. Um, the idea that there's something else in there, it, 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 it's almost too huge to, to be true. And I, I actually sat and thought about and what does that mean? Or what's what does it imply? Mm. Now that I know I have also a psychological immune system, so quite quite simply written there, couldn't wait to read the rest. Couldn't wait to get into it, um, and then and just how how Jamie works through the whole of this chapter, um, you know, really sort of comparing out the physiological immune system to a psychological immune system. And on every case, you know, even the example of the guy with fear of flying um, and his his tip of the iceberg metaphor, mm. like it, it, it just becomes almost ridiculously obvious. And and even just the reading thereof without without having any particular fear or problem or anything to resolve is, is almost it's almost meditative it, it just seems to lead to further insight and and, and realization mm. what came up for me when you were talking there Elaine and you said it hadn't crossed my mind I, I, I kind of thought well it didn't have to, like that. That seems <laughs> no for all of us. It's like it's, it, isn't that the point? It's there. Like our, our body has an immune system, and 
And in, in one of the paragraphs, I'm not quite sure which, it says how our body heals itself and repairs itself, cuts, illnesses, whatever. That's what our, our psychological immune system has been doing the whole time we've been on the planet. So now we're it's um we're being we're we're drawn to it and conscious of it. Mm-hmm. You kind of going, yeah, doesn't that make sense? I mean, how could we not have that? Yeah. How could we not? It makes me think of like a like the metaphor of the physical and the the psychological. Like if you had a scab on your arm or something, and you kept picking it, it would never heal. Like the, your body would continue to try to heal it, but you keep picking it and making it worse. It would never go away. And I think we do that psychologically all the time. We have the equivalent of a scab, and instead of letting it go, and it just let it heal. We just keep picking it. <laughs> um, and then we wonder why this bloody thing's never going away. Well, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. If we, if we, we all have examples of our crazy repetitive thinking and that thing that's always there and, and almost talk to yourselves and ask it to please leave us alone. But um, yeah, it keeps coming back. Mm. Yeah. I love the, the metaphor of thinking about the skin. Was something that one of the um, on page sixty there, the one of the first things I highlighted because I just love this. We are people. We are notoriously bad at pre- predicting their felt response to imagined scenarios. And as, aside from the examples here, I just my brain was pinging all over the place when I read that about all these imagined scenarios that we put ourselves into and and have so much emotion over or thought about or reaction to stuff that does not exist mm. it absolutely 100 million percent does not exist so i i was just having a little chuckle to myself uh, thinking as as recent as this morning when i did that <laughs> um, and i'm like oh yeah that's a, i think i have to put that on a board somewhere yeah yeah, notoriously bad at predicting my my response to imagined scenarios. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> when for me, it, it, a part of that is that even if one of those imagined scenarios ends up being the scenario that plays out, as we're imagining them all, there's kind of this undertone of worry or fear that we can't handle it if that plays out that way. But inevitably, however it plays out, we can handle it. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we're here on this call means we've handled all kinds of things mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. that we probably ahead of time would have thought were impossible. Funnily enough, what I wrote down kind of in regards to that was um, the the thinking that we go through and what we pay attention to and what we're paying attention to there. It's always, we never imagine. Well, I don't know. It's prob- probably not never, but I wonder what percentage of the times we imagine a happy outcome. You know, when we're imagining these scenarios, aren't it's often the case that we're imagining what is going to go wrong, what could go wrong, how we're going to feel in that situation, how we're not going to handle it. It's somehow it's not, you know, it's not all shiny and rosy. It's that we're imagining stuff that's not good stuff. Yeah. That's what we seem to pay attention to, which I find really curious, actually. Mm. Really, really curious. Yeah, we, we would think about how do I handle this if it goes wrong versus how do I handle this if everything goes amazingly? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, still stuff to be with. Yeah, or even just how how can it how can we be in a in a position where there is actually nothing to handle? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so that the situation will either just go by, or whatever has to happen will happen, and we'll still be sitting here, the three of us, because life goes on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even putting the label handle on, on yeah. something is yeah. interesting. Yeah, 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 it is. Like there is something to be handled out there. Yeah. It's funny, I was reading this chapter the other day, and then that evening I had a, a text chain with somebody, and we we're talking about the, the relationship between thought and feeling and all this kind of stuff, and it was as often is the case, I just read this iceberg part <laughs> on page 62. So I, I took a, a snapshot of, of it and sent it to, to the person. Because I find that, at least I'll speak for myself, I spend so much time thinking about the tip of the iceberg and and in the context of that's representative of the whole when really it's just the tip. Like there's mm. there's so much under the surface that is informing our experience that we're not consciously aware of, um, which explains a lot <laughs> in terms of why we do things that we intellectually don't want to do or um, are counter to intellectually what we're attempting to do because there's so much thinking below the surface that we're not really aware of. And that's, that's the, you know, always doing what makes sense to you kind of comes from that, from the, the bulk of the iceberg, not from the tip. Yeah. And I wonder, <laughs> just being a bit flippant here, I wonder what was going on in the Titanic under the surface. I wonder what they, they were thinking about that they managed to smash into one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> So again, which which kind of often point points again? Yeah, I, I don't know where it comes in the in the in the book in here, but anyway, to the we need to always look upstream. Yeah, or, I think your Titanic uh, metaphor yeah. metaphor Sorry. there. I, I highlighted this: a signal is only as good as your understanding. Yeah. Of it. I mean, yeah. to me, that's you know, the Titanic is an example of, I know a level of arrogance of indestructibility and that I can just plow through this fog and yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the, yeah. the real story, but it, you know, obviously um, they were going faster than their visibility should, would have allowed them to. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th I think of this one, the signal quite often that, that, uh, um, and I don't necessarily have a good answer for it, but I'm just more aware recently that I'm getting signals of some kind, whereas before I would have been oblivious to the signals. Now I'm like, oh, what is my body trying to tell me here? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, coming onto this call, I mentioned that I was a little tired. Well, you know, is that my body signaling me that I need to do something different? I need to go to bed earlier. I need to I don't know, change my diet or do more exercise. I don't know. Like, before I I wouldn't have been aware that that was even a, a potential signal that that I was being sent. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 
it does make sense. It does make sense. And again, I see kind of beyond that because kind of your own questions are, are again, thought generated. Mm. We're kind of taught to think that the body must be signaling us something. Like, okay, you know if you've just received a punch in the face, like you don't have to ask yourself, well, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> you've got it, you know, that's, that's kind of there. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, you know, we do that. Like, is, is this the signal and therefore the cure? But I guess, again, it's beyond that because perhaps, be it body or mind, if we could allow our bodies to respond to the need with no further thinking. Mm. So I feel tired, I must rest. And of course, in, in today's world, that is very often between nine and five anyway, of course, impossible, okay. Mm. But again, the just being aware of it will automatically also, and being aware that it's, it then the problem becomes thought generated. That's where the problem with the tired body comes from. Mm. I'm thinking just now, just as you were speaking, Greg. But the thing is, if we can allow the body to rest in the same way that we can allow our psychological body, let's say, to mm. rest, then we will have clarity, which I also see as like long long shot off, but in a certain sense, the clarity you have also provides healing. Mm. Again, because you allow the body to do, or the mind, to do what it's already very good at, mm. which, which kind of, you know, po points back to, to Gregory Bate Bateson's comment, you know, the major problems in the world are the, re are the result of the difference between how nature works and the way people think. Mm. Yeah. So I guess the Beatles song, Let It Be, could be a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a mantra. When I hear let it be, I think of the Sesame Street version, the letter B. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's a nicer version for me. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, and also, sorry, Lynn. No, no, go. Just, just a, again, same thing again. And in this chapter, there's something about, you know, when on page 65, where it starts off the page. The trick is not mi minding that it hurts, mm. which which points to the sort of let it be thing. It, it's okay. The yeah. sort of nothingness of of everything. I had a good chuckle from the uh, the story of the driving instructor. Mm. Who teaches his students that uh, red means go and green means stop? Because my kids have just gone through uh, learning to drive and getting their licenses. Actually, my son has his appointment coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, <laughs> it's been such an adventure teaching them to drive. 
But, you know, the, the, the summary of that story is misunderstanding of valid signals can lead to extreme difficulties. And all it takes to solve a misunderstanding is a realization, insightful understanding. I remember I was driving with my son and I forget what he was doing, turning or something. And I told, I just yelled out, stop. And what does he do? He doesn't stop. <laughs> he stops like a few, you know, what felt like an eternity, but it was probably like one second or two seconds later. But then we had to pull over and I had to give him the talking to that says like, when I yell out, stop, like it means ram your foot down on the brake and stop like Im immediately. Like this is not a recommendation. This is an order. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I've got a button with one here, which is, I think is absolutely beautiful. It has something to do with my mother. And again, just how conditioned we are with, with everything, be it learning how to drive, being it learning things at school, being learning how to sit up at the table properly and use your knife and fork, how you should be doing rather than how, et cetera, et cetera. Every mm -hmm. single thing you think about it and how, how indeed, again, going, going back to the, the, you know, the major problems in the world are a result of the difference between how nature works and how the way people think. When we're not listening in to what our inner alarm system is telling us, like the one that works all the time, the one that works when the saber-toothed tiger is wandering about in front of your cave and your fire's gone out, um, and it works every time. My mum... We, she was taking me, this must have been a good 20, how long? Yeah, 20, 20, she was still driving, so 20 or so years back. She's never been a very good driver, as my father would inform us. <laughs> um, very traumatic experience, but never mind. Uh, and we were trundling along the road, and we had to turn left, so UK driving mm. on the other side of the road to... Europe and I think Canada as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she had to turn left. And so therefore there's the oncoming traffic that you have to wait to let it pass before you can actually turn left. Mm. That's usually the only thing. There were no traffic lights or anything to, to guide that. You just have to wait and then you turn left. There were some signs on the road saying to the like white lines that say, you know, don't go into this space for the oncoming traffic yeah. unless your exit is clear sort of thing. Or it's telling you that you basically, if people need to turn left, you oncoming traffic shouldn't be there. Nevertheless, as my mother had moved carefully into the left side of the left side of her lane to mm. turn left, allowing the other traffic to go past her on the on the right. And I look up, and there is this huge truck coming straight towards my mother. And I can see the truck, and I can see, like, mum is just oblivious, mm. like totally oblivious. Oh, God. I go, mum, there's a lorry right in front of you. And I'd seen it sort of, a, a fortunately, far enough off. Mm. And she keeps on. She says, "Yes, yes, dear." She said, "Mum, you've mum. There's a, there's a truck coming straight 
at you. And then she said, but the, the amazing thing was she had the clarity of mind to say this, like I'd, I'd just lost it completely. <laughs> she said, yes, but he shouldn't be there. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like those lines on the road said, telling him that he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Mm. So she continued. I had to physically move across and take the steering and turn the steering wheel because my mother was not going to move. Mm. How crazy is that? Yeah. <laughs> but but it's it's very much, you know, my mum was born before the war and she went through the Second World War. And mm. I mean, you can imagine the, the upbringing and all the rest of it and very Victorian. And, you know, you, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Yeah. And if you don't, you're stymied. Like... You know, she couldn't override the conditioning. She yeah. just couldn't do it. Yeah. Which, as I think about it now in these terms, it's it's almost incredible. You know, and I think actually Jamie mentioned something a little bit later on about overriding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe does, we'll come yeah. to it. Yeah. Yes. People. At the bottom of sixty-five. Page yeah. sixty-five. People yeah. can yeah. be condi- can be conditioned to override it. That and that's exactly it. Again, it points so much to back to the basis, you know, until we have a, or at least I see it like this, until we have an awareness of something. Mm. It's almost as if we're not, um, probably because of the conditions, conditioning, it sounds like to me like in some way, not only is our by through our conditioned behavior, we 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 override what nature is telling us or our, our natural state is telling us. There's something to me that sounds like there's something almost overriding our ability in some situations to actually have any awareness. Mm-hmm. Which, which is quite curious and maybe another program or another <laughs> thought thing but uh, again you know where does the awareness come from yeah. <laughs> yeah all of that just really has me thinking about conditioning in a way that I the way that I hadn't been that um, that's that's at the bottom of page 65 that really struck me I didn't highlight very much on these pages but the people can be conditioned to override it and that the natural system so our natural system for guiding us out of painful preoccupations get overridden by our conditioning I just think somehow sometimes that sentence is so small how many words I don't know 15 or something the natural system we have for guiding us out of painful preoccupations gets overridden by our conditioning It's like, I'm trying to think of an example for myself, but so that says to me when we're in a situation that kind of doesn't feel good to us or doesn't look good or doesn't look like it might be good, the fact that we have all this stuff that we have been raised to believe or we think to this point 
pushes us away from that that natural system that's trying to bubble up and say go that way or go this way or pay attention notice this that's that's what it says to me I don't know what that says to to anyone else but that's what that says to me it's it's like there's so much there sounds so simple but there's so much there yeah I don't know what you guys feel about that well I highlighted this whole paragraph under the the rumble strips part that starts Mm. on page 66 and goes on to 67 says we all drift off the road into contaminated thinking it's part of our experience so that sentence alone i think is key because it's like no matter how much you study clarity or the principles or do this kind of work it's just part of our human experience to drift into contaminated thinking but as you start to see through the outside in misunderstanding something changes at some point when you start to get off track, it will occur to you that your feelings are coming from the principle of thought. This is the start of your psychological immune system self-correcting process. You don't need to do anything to help it along. The process of self-correction is an automatic function of the mind, and everyone has it, which I thought was uh, you know, the other key. And the key for me personally, that everyone has it, which means I have it, but then also for the people that I work with, that they have it too. And it's, you know, it's just the, the rumble strips and and realizing that when you're on the rumble strips, that you're on them. (laughs) All right. Like I think a lot of us drive for long, you know, miles and miles on the rumble strips. And we just think that's normal. Like, Oh, they really should do something about this road. Meanwhile, (laughs) you're on the rumble strips the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, that there's just so much in here for me about noticing it. You know, it's the it's almost like, you know, we so you notice in this situation, you notice you're on the rumble strip where you probably want to get off. <laughs> but but there are other times where when we're in our contaminated thinking and we notice more often than not the noticing is enough mm-hmm. to to take us out of it and take us wherever we we need to be um maybe that's the psychological immune system kicking in right there i think Mm. i'm realizing that it's often much easier to see when somebody else is on the rumble strips than when you're on them yourself and maybe, maybe that's where coaching can play a role too or or even just relationships with people i mean i i often talk of my kids but I was talking to my daughter this week and she's having some issue with a professor at school um whatever but I could you know it's so clear to see that she's caught up in her contaminated thinking uh around this particular situation she can't see it but I could see it and it's you know um you know just telling her that you're you're in contaminated thinking obviously doesn't help Gene Hopkins jokes is a good way to get punched in the face (laughs) but uh you know if you if you can um listen to people and guide them to recognize and have an insight around that for themselves that can be very helpful yeah because yeah totally agree with that Greg especially in in the sense that if 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 coaching in a in a certain sense it's also that 
when you're speaking to a good friend or that that good listener or that mm. that person who because it's not you <clears throat> because it's not you you know automatically with no effort at all and no further thinking will take on like a a, a non-associated position mm. like it because that has nothing to do with you if if you like because i'm i'm thinking that when you know until you can see the rumble strips for yourself you're not going to get out of it but when you're in you know big situations or things that appear and jamie then goes on to talk about that in the pattern thing mm. you know or like the roots are so that the roots of devastation in this organization are so deeply rooted that it's going to take us like until we've all gone into retirement to get out of it so it's just not going to work story mm. but I think where when where what a where a coach can be extraordinarily helpful, because those situations to me often I often see that people are so inter intricately attached to their personality. So I'm just thinking again of my example with Mum because Mum was so attached to her righteousness her mm. uprightness her good abiding law abiding citizenness that in that moment you know that was the only way forward for her she couldn't see anything other than that mm. so indeed you know i became the coach although a rather ruthlessly you know wrenched the wheel <laughs> away from her fair enough but again because for some reason and I have no idea because I wasn't even a coach. I didn't know anything about coaching at the time. It was 20 years ago. Mm. But for some reason, I was able to see the other side of this that had nothing to do with being a law-abiding citizen. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where, indeed, you know, coaches can be extraordinarily helpful because we do get stuck on those rumble strips. And, you know, even to the point where Oh right, this is a rumble strip, but then it's now. What do I do? Mm. You, you suddenly don't even know whether where, where, especially let's say if it if it's foggy, yeah. foggy mind. You suddenly even don't know where the the lane, the inside lane is of the motorway. Mm. You've lost it, you know, and you don't know what. You don't even know if there's a hard lane to drive on. You just don't know. In in the, in the metaphorical sense, so yeah. yeah, I'd go with you all the way there, Greg. You know, coaches can be extraordinarily useful to help people uh, in these kind of situations, which sometimes can be huge, can be little, but can be extremely um, what's the word? Like they gnaw away at you, mm -hmm. constant, perpetual, you know soul-destroying sometimes <laughs> and they don't have to be that way yeah i'm just thinking about your daughter there greg in this example of when we're um forget what page we were just looking at there but the 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 example of when you know the the situation oh it's been like this for years it's deep rooted it's something it's something so how long your daughter's been in the situation with her professor mm -hmm. and whatever her thinking is around that and no doubt 
you know, that there will be a moment when it will change. Mm. There, there, there's probably a moment when it will just change, and all of a sudden, it's not, you know, that that however long days, weeks, months thing has been going on. Poof! It's yeah. It's it looks different, and it's not there anymore. And that's the that's the beauty of that being within all of us. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Shall we wrap up with the thought experiment at the end of the chapter? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll read that out. This is page 67, thought experiment. The major problems in the world are the result of the difference between how nature works and the way people think. Take a moment or two to reflect on Gregory Bateson's statement. By definition, it must apply to the problems of business, of relationships, and of our personal struggles. Could it really be this simple? I would like to say yes. <laughs> once once we've got the hang of this, though, <laughs> yeah. for everything we've just said, yeah, it it, it begins it it begins to make sense, and and I see that the more something makes sense to somebody, the simpler it becomes. Mm. Yeah. Um, from that, Greg, just as um, another little thought popped into my head about the book in general and how 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 we noticed last time um, that that Jamie repeats and repeats mm. and repeats. Uh, you know, the realization that you're living in the experience of the principle of thought taking form in the moment, and he says that in various different ways and keeps on repeating it. One thing I noticed that and 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 he at some point says, you know, we we our thoughts are fleeting. Mm -hmm. You notice how many times you 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 think you'll go out to the supermarket and you've got all the stuff you need in your head and then of course you forget it. And then if you write it down, you know, you you're always going to forget it thinking that we're going to remember it, story. Yeah. I do that on a regular basis. And then if I, if I don't write the list down, what I, or I do write the list down, what I'll do is forget the list, which is really a problem. But it's okay. We do that. And it was yeah. kind of, when I read that bit, it was sort of like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. <laughs> nice <laughs> to know. Um, and then just as you were speaking, I was kind of thinking, I, it would be quite nice to see the very beginning part of the book, the very the very beginning when Jamie just tells us how to read the book. Mm. Because if we could, you know, if we keep looking for the concept, like what's going on and what is this and why is that there, rather than reading the words for insight, mm. you know, listening for insight or reading for insight, which for me actually was very powerful because I said, oh, yes, you know, stop trying to learn something from this book, but learn from what, what comes because I read the book. Mm. And that's something that I think can be, re it, it can be like a mantra and it can be very useful. You know, don't take all this stuff quite so seriously. 
I'm not saying Jamie's book, anything, yeah. anything that's happening, your conflict, your problem, and just see, you know, the, you saying, you know, the idea just to step back and look at it mm. and see what comes out of it. That that in itself is a is a powerful exercise. And I'm just thinking, I would like, I, I might go through the whole book and just write on the top of each page. Listen, read for insight, read for insight. Yeah. It's a nice reminder. It is, for sure. It is. Well, I think um, not just when reading the book, but even as we go through our day, daily lives, yeah. look, look for insight, look to insight. Like that's, I think that's a great place to point yourself to. Yeah, yeah, What whatever that means. Uh, yeah. I can remember when I very first started on, on this work, you know, I didn't even really know what the word meant. <laughs> yeah. not, not even like a dictionary definition would, would sort me out. It's like, what is that? <laughs> and then fortunately, I've had many since then. I had a funny experience. So the last company I worked for, we were a retail analytics company and our slogan was, um, transformational solutions powered by insight. So I had a fleece jacket um, that I would have on my office chair frequently because if I got cold in my office, I'd put it on and that that was embroidered on the back of the jacket. <clears throat> and I was on the Clarity weekend, one weekend or something. And I noticed the back of the jacket and I thought, well, that's still the business I'm in. Transformation <laughs> solutions powered by insight. Like that's what coaching Absolutely. is. <laughs> and I had a good chuckle out of that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That should be your tagline, Greg. I like that. Yeah. Can you steal it? Or is it? No, oh, I can probably steal it. The company's since yeah. been bought and I think changed all their stuff. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It is, though. <laughs> that is funny. I, I was on a call before we, before we came on today with someone I don't know. I only met them uh, virtually for the first time today and we were. Um, we were having a conversation about the nature of coaching and and what it, I wish I had that line. <laughs> that would have saved me about 10 minutes. <laughs> so uh, I'll write that down when we go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. You have a hard stop. so it's Yeah, to... I think we'll, uh, we can wrap it up there and we'll yeah. pick up with Chapter 6 next time. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank time. you, everybody.